Broadcasting live to the world now. It's Sheila Zelensky. This is a very sinister Luciferian eugenics plan. These spineless weasels preach what people want to hear. They replace repentance with dreams of the good life. Dying daily, taking up your cross, suffering and sacrificing have been superseded with name it and claim it. as dark as I know it looks out there the good news is that God is advancing his kingdom and it's very exciting to be a part of his great commission it's Sheila Zelensky Zelensky Show, the only show to give you the truth behind the headlines, prophecy, and the deeper things of God. Now, here is your host, end time watchwoman, Sheila Zelensky. Hello, listeners, and welcome. Thank you all for tuning in from across the globe. My guest today is no stranger to controversy, and he's not afraid to go after the truth and expose the darkness and tackle the tough stuff. Surprisingly, he is one of the few pastors that knows what's going on, and he boldly preaches the gospel despite the push for politically correct pastors. And I really appreciate his work, how he presents it. He's done many incredible movies after the tribulation, the New World Order Bible versions, and I've invited him back to talk about his latest powerful movie, Marching to Zion. It is my pleasure to bring him back on the show. He really is one of my favorite guests, Pastor Stephen Anderson from Faithful Word Baptist Church in Tempe, Arizona. Pastor Anderson, it is great to have you back on the show. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me on. So you have a really incredible official movie out, Marching to Zion. Quite an incredible compilation. I am pretty amazed at the amount of work that you've put into this, the amount of people you interviewed. Really, really nice job. I just have to say that first of all. Well, thank you so much. I'm glad you liked it. So this topic of Israel and the Jews and this term chosen people, I mean, it really is probably the most contentious and I really think misunderstood issue out there. And this term Zionism is even more confusing. I like how Christians sort of ubiquitously just say, we support Israel, we stand with Israel. But I want to start off, Stephen, first of all, and again, kudos for this incredible compilation. I cannot wait for my listeners to see this video, but let's start off with a bit of history here. The death of Solomon really divided the Israel tribes. They kind of ended up being ruled by a bunch of wicked kings after that. And they were not descendants of David. So, you know, if we really look at the the word Jew, I guess, and a lot of people don't really get this, but the word Jew really comes from Judah, doesn't it? At the time of Christ, Judah had become known as Judea. It was under Roman rule, but that's really kind of how that name evolved, isn't it? 
Yeah, exactly. And a lot of people mistakenly just think of Jews and Israel as being one and the same. For example, in the book of Revelation, when it talks about 12 tribes of Israel, they say, oh, see, these are Jews. But like you said, after Solomon died, the kingdom was split into the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah, which would later be known as Judea. And Jews were the people who lived in that southern kingdom of Judah. And it's funny because the first time the word Jew is ever mentioned in the Bible, the Jews are fighting against Israel. So, you know, (laughs) how, how could they be one and the same? It's two different countries. Well, at the time of Christ, the nation of Judah, again, had become known as Judea. They were under Roman rule. Jesus and his disciples were preaching the kingdom throughout Judea. But the Jews rejected Jesus as the Messiah. And for some reason, that is a real disconnect with people. And after the resurrection, we see that as punishment for rejecting him, Jesus prophesied that Jerusalem would be burned, the temple would be destroyed, and the Jews would be led away into captivity, basically into all the nations. I think in order for people to understand the founding of this modern state of Israel, you sort of have to understand the history of the Jews from about A.D. 70 up until about 1948, don't you? Yeah, exactly. And and the thing that happened, the pivotal thing that happened was the Jews rejecting Jesus as their Messiah. Because up until that point, you know, they were the chosen nation of God. But when they rejected Jesus, Jesus said, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. So in 70 A.D., the temple was destroyed, Jerusalem was burned, and the Jews were scattered. In fact, after 135 AD, the Romans made it illegal for any Jew to set foot in the city of Jerusalem. Right. So they were all kicked out, and they were scattered literally into every nation under heaven. And what's funny is that if God was the one that allowed that temple to be destroyed as a punishment for them rejecting Jesus, if God's the one that allowed them to be scattered into all nations like he predicted— It's funny how Christians today take it upon themselves to try to raise money to rebuild that temple or, or, hey, let's raise money to bring more Jews back to Israel. You know, they're working against the will of God. It was God's will to burn that place down and scatter them. So it's kind of funny that Christians would want to work to try to bring unbelieving Christ-rejecting Jews back to Israel. It doesn't make any sense. Well, you're right. The temple was destroyed. That's really when the Jews were dispersed. And they didn't really have a central location after that, did they? No. And that's why you went from having a priestly Judaism to a rabbinical Judaism. Because Judaism, quote unquote, I mean, it was never called Judaism, but, you know, the religion that the Jews followed was based heavily on priests and animal sacrifices and going to the temple and following the law of Moses and so on. But after the temple was destroyed, they got completely away from that. They got away from the priesthood. They stopped doing any animal sacrifices. So their religion is really no longer based on the Bible whatsoever, really, is it? No. Because the Talmud, let's springboard into that a little bit, because we know that the Talmud is the early book of the Jews. It's known as the wisdom of the rabbis. It's kind of an encyclopedia of Jewish knowledge. And there's a fellow, there's a rabbi on your movie that actually said it's the Jewish Wikipedia of the ages. And that, that was, I thought, thought that was kind of interesting, but it's really kind of 38 volumes of this doctrine of men, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And it's definitely not the word of God. And People think that the Jews believe the Old Testament. That's what 99% of Christians you talk to think. 
they think, well, you know, they, they don't believe in Jesus, but they believe in the Old Testament, when in reality their religion is not based upon the Old Testament whatsoever. It's based on the Talmud. And the Talmud is this 36-volume encyclopedia of all kinds of unbiblical stuff, contradictory to the Bible. And this is exactly what Jesus was rebuking when he talked to the Pharisees and said that they were teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. And not only is this uh, book, the Talmud, which is you know not the word of God, but they think it's the word of God, not only is it teaching all this unbiblical stuff, but it actually says some really bad things about Jesus, really blasphemous things about Jesus. Well, it's interesting because Mark 7, 7 says, it's a pretty profound statement. It says, how be it in vain do they worship me teaching for doctrines, the commandments of men. So the Bible talks about that. And springboarding a little bit into the Torah, I mean, that's their exalted book. And you have to wonder if Jews actually even believe it. It seems to me that they don't even believe any of it. Well, yeah, the, the Torah, which would be what we know as Genesis through Deuteronomy, they don't believe it whatsoever because Jesus flat out said, if you believed Moses, then you'd believe me. But he said, if you don't believe his writings, you're not going to believe my words. And so they actually believe in the Talmud. That's what their religion's based on. And, you know, most people don't know the, the wicked stuff that's in the Talmud. The Talmud also sanctions pedophilia. You know, we didn't even go into that in the movie just because we don't want to expose the viewers. We wanted the movie to be suitable for all ages. But I mean, the Talmud is a really wicked group of books. Yeah. And, you know, not only that, but it says horrible things about Jesus. It talks about the fact that Jesus is a bastard and that his mother was a whore. And it also claims that Jesus is in hell right now, boiling in a vat of hot excrement. Yeah, it's nuts. He's boiling in human waste for all eternity as a punishment for mocking the rabbis. So that should show you what these people think about Jesus. And my question is, why would we bless these people and consider them God's chosen people and think that they're so wonderful and call ourselves Judeo-Christian when that's what they think about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. Well, and what's really quite stunning is they don't believe really in the creation story. They don't really believe in Adam and Eve, literally. They don't believe in Noah. They don't really believe in the Tower of Babel. They don't really believe in circumcising adults. It's more like symbolic. They don't believe in animal sacrifices. So what part of that do they believe? I'm just curious. Yeah, exactly. I mean, every single rabbi that we talk to, and we talk to a wide spectrum, and that, that's what's cool about the movie is that in the movie, we talked to four different rabbis that represent four different denominations of Judaism. And we really represented the largest segments of Judaism because we talked to a reform rabbi, which is what most religious Jews are. But then we also talked to an Orthodox rabbi. You know, we talked to a conservative rabbi. We talked to a humanist rabbi. And all of them were fine with the Big Bang, evolution. You know, they were all just super liberal and that you know we talked to the reform rabbi he told us homosexuality is fine and i mean you know this none of this stuff is in the old testament but they don't believe the old testament they believe the talmud christians just don't realize what they really believe in and how bad the religion of judaism really is i mean it's, it's terrible well you see the devil's hatred for christ so it's really not surprising that this whole doctrine is really twisted isn't it oh yeah absolutely and and you know what 
it really is satanic because the Bible warns us in Revelation 2.9 and Revelation 3.9 about those who say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. If you think about that term, the synagogue of Satan in Revelation. And by the way, the book of Revelation only uses the word Jews two times, and it's in 2.9 and 3.9, and it's about the fact that they say they're Jews, but they're really not, because the Bible says that he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, but he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. And so just the fact that they put on a funny hat and call themselves Jews and grow a beard, you know, that doesn't make them Jews in God's sight. That doesn't make them the true chosen people of God. If they reject the Lord Jesus Christ, that is of Satan. That is not of God. Well, speaking of Satanism, that is a really good segue into where I want to go from here. It's really interesting when you look at sort of the founder of Zionism. Theodore Herzl was the founder of Zionism. He wrote a book called The State of the Jews. And he was talking about, you know, there was really only one way to protect the Jews in the future. And that was talking about immigration for them to kind of leave and settle in their homeland in Israel. But the book really kind of became like the Bible of Zionism, didn't it? Oh, yeah, because honestly, to the Jews, Zionism is their religion. The religion of some is Judaism. But a lot of these Jews that you talk to, Zionism is their religion, you know, and, and they've made a religion out of the Holocaust as well. And so, you know, this isn't Bible-believing religion. It's a religion that just exalts the Jews as being the greatest people on the earth, and they're the chosen special people, and all the rest of us are just kind of playing second fiddle. We're Gentiles. We don't really matter as much because God chose them, and on and on. And, you know, that's not what the New Testament teaches. I mean, the New Testament teaches us to avoid genealogies, and that, you know, we're all one in Christ Jesus, and, and there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. So, and I'm telling you right now, a lot of people are going to attack this film and try to say, oh, this is hate speech, or you guys are racist. But Sheila, you watched the film. It's not a racist film at all, is it? I did see the film in its entirety. And I actually thought it was the opposite of racist, because... Racism denotes that a particular race is superior to another. But in fact, you were presenting the idea that none of us are superior. And in fact, in Christ, we are all the same. Paul says in Galatians, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither bond nor free. There's neither male nor female. We are all one in Christ. So saying it's racist, that's ridiculous and actually quite preposterous. I thought it was excellent and the history was very well done. And there's not anything really in this that you can even refute. You know, I consider myself to be fairly astute. And Stephen, I have to say, even I had moments where I went, wow, I did not know that. For example, the red hexagon of Meyer Rothschild. There was an interesting thing that happened when the British Lord Belford sent a letter to Meyer Rothschild. Now, Rothschild wasn't originally his name. Now, a lot of people don't know that, but Meyer Rothschild's original name was Bauer. And now Bauer was a money lender, you know, and soon he changed his name to Meyer Rothschild. Well, interesting that it's the German word, this word Rothschild, his name is the German word for the red sign that was outside his office. In the 1800s, the Rothschild family really was the richest family in the world. And he died in 1812. And he left really detailed instruction how his empire would be 
operated. But what a lot of people don't know is his family could only marry inside the family in order to preserve this empire. And I talk a lot in shows about the British royalty, the 13 bloodlines of the Illuminati, and the the Rothschilds actually trace their roots back to Nimrod. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, that's that's crazy. Well, the thing is, um, Rothschild, the original founder of the Rothschild dynasty's name was Meyer Bauer. And he changed his name to Rothschild, is how you pronounce it in German, which, yeah, it means red sign. And the, the sign that he had outside of his shop was a red hexagram or what we know today as, quote unquote, the Star of David. So he's the one who had that red Star of David symbol. And one of the funniest parts in this new film, Marching to Zion, is the part where we ask the rabbis where that symbol comes from. And yeah. we ask them, you know, and none of them know. They're all, <laughs> it was just so funny because th- they have it all over their houses. They have it all over their synagogues. They, one of them has it right on his desk, two feet from yeah, him. Right on and his we're desk. like, we're like, what is that symbol? And he had no idea what it is. And in the modern era, it traces back to Rothschild. He's the one who had that symbol, and that symbol was so important to him that he literally changed his last name to to be based on that symbol. The red sign was that sign of the six-pointed star of, you know, today what we have on the, the modern-day fraudulent state of Israel. So, yeah, he basically was just a Jewish money lender, and he wanted to set up, you know, all the central banking in these different countries and, and control the banking, control the money. And look, today our world is run by these Jewish bankers and these people who have billions and billions of dollars. And a lot of them are descended from Rothschild himself or other, you know, Jews like him. And these are the banksters of the world today that, you know, it goes back to Rothschild in the late 1700s, early 1800s. And he's the one who backed Israel in the early days. He's the one who funded the original, you know, Jews that were going over there and doing all the settlements in Palestine in the late 1800s, early 1900s, he was the one who was putting up the money for all this. And that's why when Israel officially was granted to the Jews as a homeland, you know, in the Balfour Declaration in World War One, that's why the letter was sent to Lionel Rothschild. Lionel Rothschild, yeah. Yeah, because, there, you know, there's Meyer Rothschild was the original guy. Then yeah. there was, you know, Nathan Rothschild. But it was... The, the guy with the Balfour Declaration's name was actually Lionel Rothschild. And so that letter was sent to him saying that Israel should be a homeland for the Jews. And, and what's interesting is the timing of it, 1917. This is what was really going on. Germany was winning World War I. And so the Jews went to the British and said, hey, we'll get America into the war and win it for you. We'll, it, you know, because if America comes in, we'll be able to defeat Germany. And then in return, you give us the Balfour Declaration saying that we get Palestine. And so, in, in fact, it was the Jews who got America into World War I because they wanted that Balfour Declaration that said that they would get Palestine. And even though they got the Balfour Declaration in 1917, they were not able to get in there and really control the land until 1947 just because World War II had to happen and the the quote unquote, you know, the Holocaust supposedly had to happen and everything in order to, you know, to get public opinion behind creating a Jewish homeland in Palestine. Well, it was really in 1948, the Jewish state 
was created. And what's really amazing, and I really appreciate the fact you covered this in the documentary, was that the United Nations was really pivotal in this whole Jewish state, wasn't it? Because they said there'd be two states in Palestine instead of, you know, in Palestine there'd be two states, a Jewish state and a Palestinian state. These kind of mindless minions out there, they sort of go, well, uh, God brought Israel back and he did this big awesome thing, but it was actually the United Nations. Isn't that great? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it definitely wasn't God that brought him back because God specifically said in the Bible over and over again, this is what it's going to take for me to bring you back. You have to turn unto me. You know, you have to worship me. You have to serve me and put away your false gods. Because this isn't the first time that the Jews had been kicked out of Palestine. Right. Because he, he constantly was removing them from the land or, you know, bringing in the Philistines to, to take over. And they had to turn back to the Lord and then he would send a deliverer. Then he would bring them back to the land. He'd take them back from Babylon or wherever. Well, they didn't turn to Jesus Christ in 1948. So how can people say it was the Lord who brought them back? It was actually the United Nations that decided that there would be a two-state solution, you know, where they'd give part of the land to Israel and part of the land to Palestine. But what ended up happening was Israel became the first state, and then the Palestinian state just never happened. So, And now the Palestinian land just gets smaller and smaller every year. The Jews just keep encroaching on it more and more and basically just taking more and more of that land. So you have to ask yourself, is this the Lord that's doing it when it's the United Nations, when it's evil bankers like Rothschild that are behind it? I mean, those are the forces of Satan. And it makes perfect sense when you think about the fact that the Bible tells us that the Antichrist is going to be in Jerusalem and he's going to, you know, be in the temple, that the temple is going to be rebuilt and he's going to go into the temple and declare himself to be God. So it, it makes sense that these evil dark forces would bring about this Jewish state so that the imposter, the Antichrist, can come in, you know, and, and rule from Jerusalem. He's posing as the second coming of Christ, but he's actually the Antichrist. Well, they're still important. looking for a Messiah, but we know that this is the Antichrist. Because one of the things they say, and I always think this is so interesting, Pastor Anderson, is that they will establish peace and goodwill on earth. World peace. Right. And, and it's funny because the rabbi even says, well, he's going to be a great warrior, though. And first, he's going to defeat all the enemies. Then there will be world peace. OK, so basically, there's going to be warfare where they destroy everyone who's opposed to their regime. But that this Messiah is going to come in and bring a world peace. And when they say world peace, here's what they really mean. One world government. That's what they mean by world peace. Oh, it can't be you can't be fooled by that term and you know, oh that sounds good peace because I mean obviously everybody loves peace but when they say world peace that's a code word for one world government and wipe out everyone who disagrees with us. I remember on a show I did with Danny Moreno, he's studied a lot of the Muslim history and the Islamic State. I played a clip and this Muslim leader said, yes, we're a religion of peace. And Danny said, yeah, a piece of a dead body here, a piece of a dead body there. <laughs> but I mean, I guess the thing, the remarkable thing is that Christians are really zealous in their pro-Israel stance, their position. I mean, it's it, it, traditionally Christianity was very anti-Semitic, but I guess John 3, 3, 6 just escapes Christians because 
the Bible says in John 3, 36, that he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. I mean, where is the disconnect here with Christians that are, you know, yay, go Israel, we stand with Israel? Yeah, it's like a cognitive dissonance where, on one hand, if you pin them down and say, look, are these people going to heaven? They're like, well, you know, actually, I guess they're not because they don't believe in Jesus. I guess they're going to hell. But they're like, but they're still God's people and, and God's still blessing them. And <laughs> But the Bible said you just read it yourself where, you know, it says right there that God's wrath is on them because they don't believe in Jesus. Well, but you know, what's remarkable is good old John Hagee. He's always I mean, have people listened to this raving lunatic? He just emphasizes Israel to the point of just sheer idolatry. And he's built this million dollar empire sharing the gospel of Israel. That I mean, this guy is an unscrupulous, charlatan, blasphemous, false teacher, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. I mean, he he literally says that the Jews are saved even if they don't believe in Jesus. So, you know, forget about what Jesus said. No man cometh unto the father but by me. You know, he just thinks that because they're a Jew, quote unquote, they have a free pass into heaven. And what did John the Baptist say? Think not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And he did not accept the fact that they were of Abraham's seed. And That's Jesus it. even said to them, he said, I know that you're Abraham's seed. But he said, if you were the children of Abraham, you would do the works of Abraham. He said, you are of your father, the devil. It's great in the movie, Marching to Zion. It's great. This one rabbi, he's so emotional. I mean, he's like really angry and yelling about just how bad Jesus and Paul were to say such things about the Jews, how they're the sons of the devil and all this. <laughs> I mean, it really cracks me up. He's pointing at the Bible, saying how it's poisoning our minds, pointing at the New Testament. And what's funny is that you'll go on Facebook and Christians will be posting pictures of an Israeli soldier praying. Right. And, oh, isn't this so wonderful? This is right. But you have to ask yourself, is he praying in Jesus name? Well, if he's not praying in Jesus name, then his prayer isn't going 10 feet above his head because, the, the you know, he's not praying to the Lord. As you were doing this movie, was there anything, I mean, because you talk to a lot of people, you have Tex Mars on there. I mean, it's just great people you interviewed. Was there anything that really sort of stunned you that you kind of went, oh, my goodness? Yeah, I mean, there were a lot of things that stunned me. I mean, what one of the things that stunned me the most was when they talked about how when the Messiah comes, one of the rabbis explained to us that when the Messiah comes, Everybody on the planet's going to be killed. We weren't able to edit that part into the movie because it was just so weird. Oh, no. They were talking about how, how basically that he's going to kill everybody on the entire planet. Everyone will die, and then and then certain people will be resurrected, but that everybody is is killed. I was trying to find a way to edit it into the film, but it was just it was so bizarre. I thought, you know, if I put this in film, people are just going to think that. It's just too crazy. It's too wild. Well, and it almost kind of will lose the credibility of the rest of it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Another thing that just shocked me in the course of making the film is just how the rabbis were just, they were just fine with homosexuality and just how they all believed in evolution. I didn't really expect them to come right out and say it. I mean, I knew that Jesus said they don't believe in Moses. That's what Jesus said. But, I mean, I didn't just expect them to just come right out and say you know, we don't believe the story of Adam and Eve. Tower of Babel didn't really happen. 
Noah's flood didn't really happen. I mean, that kind of blew me away. I, I expected them to at least give lip service <laughs> to those kind of teachings. Well, so. Tel Aviv has become like gay central of the world. Yeah, it's unbelievable. And and it's, and that's the only place in the Middle East that has a gay pride parade is Tel Aviv. And, it, and it's funny because there's a verse in Romans that said that except the Lord of Sabaoth, you know, had left us a remnant, we would have been like unto Sodom and Gomorrah. And, you know, the Bible defines the remnant, the righteous remnant of Israel, as those who have believed in Jesus Christ. So they're not the remnant. And just as Romans 9 predicted, they are like unto Sodom and Gomorrah. And it's amazing how you, you can look at images of Tel Aviv where there's just a gay pride flag like every 20 feet. And even the United States Embassy flew the, the gay pride flag underneath the American flag for the entire month of June. And so this is a really bad testimony over in the Middle East because America is supposedly a Christian nation. I mean, that's what we claim to be. But then to sit there and fly the gay pride flag over in the Middle East, you know, that's not going to bring the Muslims to Jesus Christ because, you know, the Muslims need to be saved. They need to believe in Jesus as their savior. But they're not going to believe in Jesus as their savior when we're flying a gay pride flag. I mean, that's a bad testimony. <laughs> well, also, they really have spearheaded the whole sort of genderless, transgendered movement as well. And I think it's really important that people understand that the Bible teaches that man is made in the image of God. You and I have talked before about these Bible versions where they've gone gender neutral. They've got the Queen James Bible. I had someone talking about that on my show and how they've really gone gender neutral and how they've changed everything. But I mean, this God is male and female is such a crock. And we've got, I just finished a book called Green Gospel, A New World Religion. And it really gets into the, this mother Gaia, the great goddess, the new age mysticism in the Kabbalah and how this is all rolled into this global warming issue. You know, got to bow down to mother earth, go back to old forms of ancient pantheism. But it's really sort of all rolled into one nightmarish doctrine, isn't it? And of course the UN is behind that push of, Better have you bowing down to Mother Guy and going carbon neutral here. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and you know, we covered that in the film, of course, about the, the whole God being female and this whole, you know, like you said, Mother Gaia thing. And, and that stuff comes from the Jewish Kabbalah. A lot of people don't understand that this New Age mysticism and Mother Earth and Gaia and all that comes from the Kabbalah. And, and you know, a lot of people aren't sure what the Kabbalah is. Well, the Kabbalah is Jewish mysticism. It goes back to the medieval period in the Middle Ages. The main book of it is called the Zohar. And the Kabbalah is something that these rabbis that we talked to, several of them said, oh, yeah, that's a big part of our religion. You know, part, some of Judaism is into the Kabbalah and other denominations of Judaism are not so much into the Kabbalah. But they all believe in this thing called the Shekinah. And the Shekinah, they say, is the female side of God. And it's so weird listening to them talk about it. But honestly, like you said, I mean, God is the father, the son and the Holy Ghost. And it's always he and him and making man in his image and, and all that. And then it's funny because in, the, in our movie also, we show uh, Spock, you know, because Leonard Nimoy just died a few weeks ago. And, and, you know, it's the live long and prosper that, that Spock says on Star Trek. And that actually that's something that he learned in a Jewish synagogue <laughs> worshiping, worshiping the female God, Shekinah. And they say that when they refer to God as Shekinah, they use the word she or her to refer to God, 
which is completely foreign to Christianity. I mean, that's not a, a Christian concept, but it just shows you how the Jews have totally infiltrated Hollywood. It's funny. In the process of making this movie, we struggled to find anyone to do the voiceover because we we were uh, trying to hire different voiceover talent. And the talent agency literally said to us, this is exactly what they said. They said, we work in Hollywood. Everyone in Hollywood is either Jewish or a homosexual. So how can we participate in this film? That's, <laughs> and I, look, all I'm doing is repeating what she said. Okay. That is what the Hollywood talent agent said when we were trying to find voiceover artists. She said, it's all gays and, and, and uh, Jews and you've offended both is what she said. And so, you know, the Jews really do run Hollywood and they even smuggle in this kind of new age satanic stuff, even into a show like Star Trek, where they'll sneak in this, you know, Jewish mysticism and, and whatever. And and look at the homosexuality that's promoted by Hollywood. Well, there you go. And yeah, then look it's, at it's really sodomite central. Yeah. I mean, look at Tel Aviv and then look at Hollywood and, you know, two plus two equals four. You know, it's not really that complicated to figure out <laughs> who's behind it. <laughs> well, and, and people, again, are really hung up, Stephen, on the idea that the Jews are descendants from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the chosen people, you know, they're really stuck on that term. The, the Jews are the chosen people, aren't they? Oh, yeah. And even though in the New Testament, the term elect or chosen is used over and over again about Christians, whether they be Jew or Gentile, it's not even relevant. But one of the one of the interesting things in the movie is when we, we mathematically prove beyond any shadow of a doubt that every single one of us is descended in some way from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So that doesn't make them special. And, and not only that, but Paul Wittenberger and I, he's the director of the film, we're just a couple of white guys. And, you know, we've been told our lives you know, the whole, the whole time, oh, you know, you're Swedish, you're, you're Irish, you're German, you're English. That's what we've been told our whole lives. But yet we both went down and got our DNA tested and we were both part Jewish. I because... love how that lady in the film goes, I now pronounce you Jewish. Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because, because of the fact that the Jews were literally scattered into every nation 2000 years ago. Well, guess what? When you're scattered into every nation, you just brought that Jewish DNA into every nation. Just about anybody who gets their DNA tested, if they get a comprehensive DNA test that goes back far enough into their deep ancestry, it's going to be there. Okay. So to sit there and, and say, oh, well, they're Jews, you're Gentiles, and, and that's the end of the story. No, because it, thousands of years later, it's completely intermingled. And if you look at today's Jews, they're white people. I mean, they, they a lot of them have blonde hair and blue eyes. They don't even look like they're from the Middle East because they've been so mixed with the Europeans. They don't even look Middle Eastern. And, and, you know, when you read the Bible, the children of Israel or the Jews are always being confused for Egyptians. Right. They must look similar to Egyptians because, you know, the Apostle Paul, they thought he was an Egyptian in the book of Acts. And then they thought that Joseph was an Egyptian in Genesis. They thought that Moses was an Egyptian in Exodus, you know, on and on and on. And if you look at the hieroglyphics and ancient artwork of Egypt, they were brown people. You know, they weren't black and they weren't white, but they were somewhere in between. They were basically a brown Middle Eastern type look. And so we can assume that the Israelites looked similar. You know, they weren't the blonde haired, blue eyed Europeans that we see today. And we're, we're supposed to believe that these people are the pure sons of of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, when they're as white as snow, they're, they're clearly, 
Europeans. Have you, know, you ever seen that meme that goes around, you know, sometimes Facebook? It's a joke that says, yeah, because Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are such, you know, common names in the Middle East. Right, yeah. Well, that, the thing about that is that, you know, obviously it's being translated into English, but at the time of Christ, people were speaking Greek in that part of the world. That's why yes. the, whole, the whole New Testament's written in Greek. Coin Greek, but, right? Exactly, yeah. And, and people will try to say, like, oh, Jesus and his apostles— all they spoke was Hebrew, and we need to stop saying Jesus. We need to call him Yeshua. <laughs> but honestly, it isn't true, because if that were true, then why did the apostles all write the scriptures in Greek? How could they write it in Greek if they didn't even speak Greek? I mean, that doesn't even make sense. Or they and, say, well, you got to go back to the original Aramaic and Hebrew. That- yeah, but there is, no, there is no original Aramaic Hebrew because of the fact that there are right now 5,900 and some manuscripts of the New Testament that have been discovered, meaning a handwritten copy, you know, of the Greek New Testament from before the time of printing presses when it was handwritten. There are 5,900 and some manuscripts of the New Testament. Well, guess how many Hebrew manuscripts of the New Testament there are? Zero. Zero. (laughs) Yeah, there are zero. But yet there are people today that will insist, oh, it was originally written in Hebrew. You know, if you're reading a Greek New Testament, you're reading a translation. It's not true. It was originally written in Greek. That's why the sign above Jesus's head, when Jesus died on the cross, remember the sign that said, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews? Right. The Bible says it was in three languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Now, the reason it was in Latin is because of the Romans. You know, the Romans spoke Latin, the Roman soldiers that nailed him to the cross. And the reason that it was in Hebrew, obviously, is because, you know, that was the local dialect of Jerusalem was Hebrew. Why was it in Greek? Because that was also the common language that they spoke in that part of the world at that time. So uh, we don't understand this because in America, we're, we just speak one language, English. And we don't even care about learning another language in most cases. Whereas most people in this world speak more than one language. You know, if you talk to people in the Middle East, you talk to a person in Israel today, they probably speak English, Hebrew, and Arabic. You know, they're going to speak a few languages. You talk to people in Africa, India, China. Most of them speak three languages. And so it makes sense that Jesus and his disciples would speak the local language of Hebrew, but they also spoke Greek because, you know, Jesus grew up in a a place that was literally a a, a short walk from a place where all they spoke was Greek. You know, I mean, he could have walked for lunch somewhere where they spoke nothing but Greek. So, you know, Jesus and his apostles did speak Greek as well. And that's why the whole New Testament's written in Greek and all his sermons are recorded in Greek. It's just they're trying to they're trying to get Christianity to merge with Judaism and and yeah. and, and kind of become Jewish and 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 bring all religions together. You know, and that's part of the Antichrist plan. This so reminds me of good old Mr. Rick Chrislam Warren. That's like merging Christ and the devil and calling it Crevel right. to me. Isn't that ridiculous? Exactly. It is ridiculous. But you know what I think is, is even more ridiculous is that Christians are ready to condemn Chrislam in a moment. And, and they should be because Chrislam is wicked. But isn't it funny how then they'll turn around and say Judeo-Christian in the next breath. So they don't want Chrislam, but then Judeo-Christian's fine. Well, here's the thing. The Jews actually are more blasphemous toward Jesus than the Muslims are. Oh, yes. They think we're just pigs, that any Christian is a pig. I've heard a Jewish rabbi say this to me to my face. Yeah, exactly. And and here's the thing. You know, the Muslims are not saved. You know, they're a false religion because they don't believe that Jesus is the son of God. 
they believe that Jesus is just, you know, a prophet and he's a good prophet, but he's not the son of God. And you have to believe that he's the son of God to be saved. But the thing about the Jews is they think that Jesus is the bastard son of a Roman soldier and they spit three times when they say his name. So at least the Muslims aren't saying that Jesus is boiling in a vat of hot excrement. So, you know, it's just such hypocrisy to reject Chrislam and then accept the term Judeo-Christian and, and call the Jews our brothers. When in reality, we need to reject both Islam and Judaism because it's a, it's a false left-right paradigm. Just like they want us to say, you know, if you're not Republican, you have to be Democrat. Or if you're not Democrat, you have to be Republican. It's like, well, oh, if you're saying bad things about the Jews, you must love the Muslims. You must, you must, you know, be Islamic. And of course, we love both Muslims and Jews. We want them to be saved. You know, we want them to accept Christ as Savior. But it's amazing how as soon as you start to criticize Judaism, they want to lump you in with the Muslims. And then as soon as you criticize the Muslims, it's like, oh, well, you must be a Zionist. You must be. When in reality, it's a false left-right paradigm. We, we should stand for Jesus and stand against both Islam and Judaism. You know, with all this election buzz and Ted Cruz, and I say, you know, whether it's election vernacular or regulatory rhetoric or political propaganda, any way you slice it, Stephen, Republican and Democrats are the left and right wings of the same ugly bird. And this is very similar to it. It's the same right and left side of an ugly false doctrine, isn't it? Exactly right. And that's why, you know, I don't understand why Americans think that we have to take a side. You know, and we have to either side with Israel or side with the Muslims. You know, I have an idea. Why don't we just mind our own business and just <laughs> and just stay on our hemisphere? You know what I mean? Well, but just why stay- don't we also get some knowledge? It, you know, the Bible says that people are destroyed through lack of knowledge. People are so ignorant because, you know, again, whether it's John Hange or all these people that stand with Israel, they don't even really understand what they mean by that. What was really interesting in the film, I thought the genealogy piece that you did was really powerful because, I mean, it's not about the DNA. It's about, is your faith in Christ? That's it. Because how in the world can God's people be determined by DNA? And I thought when you were doing that chalkboard exercise and you were talking about there's you and then you, it's two and you double that and you go all the way up to what, I think 10 generations. That was a, that was a (laughs) lot of people on the top of that tree. Yeah. And you know what? I think a lot of people, when they watch this movie and see that that part with the the chalkboard where where I break that down about the family tree and the the number of ancestors, I think a lot of their minds are just going to be blown. Because I remember when I first figured that out, my mind was blown. And the way that I figured that out was just by doing my own family tree. And I started doing my family tree and it was like, wait a minute, this is crazy. Just and, and once you realize that we're all related and how little difference there is between us, you know, when it comes to our ancestors, you know, and, and that's why it's so ridiculous how, you know, the ADL is already attacking the film, you know, the Anti-Defamation League. They've written three articles attacking the film before they'd even seen it, of course. Our Arizona congressman held a press conference about the film, Marching to Zion, condemning it again. Oh, wow, and they haven't even seen yeah. it. They <laughs> haven't even seen it. One of our congressmen held a press conference at a local, you know, compromising Christian church in Tempe. And then another one of our U.S. representatives, you know, held a press conference in front of our church building, you know, like standing out front wow. of the church, condemning us. They haven't even seen the movie. And in reality, anyone who watches the movie will see 
that this movie is the opposite of racist. This movie is teaching that basically God looks at us the same. It's the Zionists who are the racist because they're saying that God prefers a certain race. That, that's so ridiculous how they've demonized basically anybody who's not on board with any of their propaganda, any of their agenda. Well, then you must be, you're a radical, you're a racist. You're the, but Jesus would have been considered a radical in his day. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Because Jesus looked at the Jews and said, well, your father's not Abraham. You're of your father, the devil. Yeah. Well, if you say that today, you know, the SPLC is going to list you as a hate group and the ADL is going to come try to fight you and, and all this stuff. You know, I, I just emailed the, the finished movie over I, an electronic version of the film over to the ADL because I said, hey, you know, since you guys have done three articles attacking this film, I thought you might actually want to watch it and even see what it's about, you know, before you attack it. <laughs> and what's funny is they're also running news stories here. We were on the local television here in Arizona. Because they, they're saying that we lied to these rabbis to get them to participate. But, you know, the funny thing is, I have copies of all the emails that I sent to the rabbis. And everything I said to these rabbis was true, and I did not lie to them at all. Here's what I told them. I said, we're making a film about Judaism and the history of the nation of Israel. And then I sent them the list of questions in advance, and I stuck to those questions. So I don't see how they can say I deceived them. But what it is, is that they never asked me whether the film was going to be positive or negative. They just assumed that, of course, it's going to be pro-Israel. I mean, you know, of course, Christians are going to support Israel. So they just assumed that I'm the typical evangelical that's going to bow down and worship Israel. But I, I can stand here and tell you right now, and I have the, the evidence in writing, we did not lie or deceive them. We just told them we're making a film about Judaism and the nation of Israel. They're the ones who just assumed it was going to be positive. You know, well, I think also you've kind of been branded as a bit of a, not unlike myself. I mean, I'm branded as a religious zealot. I'm a climate denier because I don't embrace this global warming scam. So, of course, I, I'm actually recently being sued for actually being what they call a climate criminal. I'm promoting, <laughs> yeah, I'm promoting anti-anthropogenic global warming. I don't believe man is causing global warming. Dr. Timothy Ball, the renowned climatologist, and I have really got hammered for saying that Al Gore's a, a huckster and, you know, this is just one big scam and it hasn't been warming in 17 years. But we are very much deemed as dangerous because we speak out against the sodomite agenda. And, you know, a lady recently emailed me, and she, one of my listeners, and she said, you know, you're such a gay basher. You're such a hate, you know, hater of homosexuals. And I said, no, God loves his people. It's just that God hates sin. As you see, Stephen, there's a real movement of all these Christians now that are coming out of the closet. There's a book called The Gay Christian. I mean, it's just anything goes, you know, let's just embrace the the gays and let's just join hands and sing kumbaya and just focus on what we do agree on. You know, that that's the danger, isn't it? Oh, yeah. And, and basically, they have convinced Christians to open their arms to homosexuals and, and invite them into the church and, and you know, allow them to, to, to come to our homes for a barbecue and all this stuff. And, and they want us to act like it's normal. And that's why they're, they're so into, you know, pushing for marriage rights. It's not really that they want to get married. It's that they want to make it seem normal to society and by doing these marriages, it's a way that they can try to normalize it. But the number one driving force behind it is Hollywood. 
and the television industry. And that is what's driving it. And it is it is wicked. And, you know, we need to stand up and call a spade a spade. But we're going to be labeled as homophobic, you know, and then you start telling the truth about the religion of Judaism and about the fact that Zionism is not scriptural. You're labeled an anti-Semite. So they have all these little labels to put on you. And it just seems anything you say that doesn't go with the mainstream agenda is just labeled as hate speech. You know, look, I'll be honest. I've I've said hateful things in the past. And, And, you know, people said it's hate speech. I said, well, okay, yeah. I hate evil and wickedness and sin. But but here's the thing, though. Sometimes I'll say stuff that's not even close to being hateful because I'll admit it if I say something hateful. But I'll say things that aren't even close to being hateful. And it's like people just have this knee jerk. That's hate. That's hateful. You're you're teaching hate. Just anything that that is negative is hate or anything that goes against the mainstream. It's just become a brainwashing where it's just it's like a parrot just hate hate you're hateful you're hateful they just repeat that that is so true it is just bouncing around the echo chamber that we are hateful they'll take things we say out of context and it gets twisted into this really muddled thing but you're right you were just supposed to sit back and join arms and embrace all these these doctrines of devils. And I think that is the really the dangerous thing. Because when people say, again, I hear this all the time, Israel, Israel, they've got the Star of David on their post, they've got, you know, the little symbol, the Israel today, folks, is not what God is talking about, is it? Exactly right. You know, just because a country is called Israel, and then they open their Old Testament, and they're like, oh, Israel, and then they, they apply everything in the Old Testament to that modern day nation. And it's like they completely jump over whole chapters of the New Testament. And I encourage anyone who's listening right now and they're they're a little bit unclear on this teaching, open the Bible and read Galatians chapter 3. Just that one chapter alone will open your eyes. I mean, just take the time to open your Bible and read Galatians 3. And even, even Galatians 3 and 4 would be great. And, and read Romans 9. Well, I'm and- going to read one a scripture out of Galatians that I think they really have to highlight in yellow highlighter. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Jesus Christ. And how are we one in Jesus Christ? Well, that's obviously when we are born again and there's salvation, redemption, sanctification, repentance. I mean, there's a few little pieces around that, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, and, and there's so many great scriptures in, Gen- in Galatians 3. They really need to read the whole chapter. But one famous part that I would point to is where God tells Abraham, in thee shall all nations be blessed. Yes. And it says, so then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. So the Bible's not about God blessing one nation. It's about God blessing all nations because salvation through Jesus Christ is available to all nations. It's not about some piece of land and, oh, it's all about who controls that land. You know what? I honestly couldn't care less who controls that land because, you know what? The greater treasure is the Lord Jesus Christ in our hearts. And, you know, the Bible even says of Abraham, it said he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And it said that he did not seek an earthly country. He was looking for a heavenly country. And so that promised land that Abraham inherited, that was just 
figurative yes. of the, the, the true Zion, you know, the heavenly Jerusalem. I mean, do people really think that the reason why God put us on this earth was so that a bunch of people who claim to be Jews can possess a certain piece of land on the other side of the world. Is that really what our lives are about? And it, it's funny, you know, Glenn Beck appears in our documentary and says, you know, that the, the nation of America was was only established just to just so that we could help establish Israel. Like all of us just to exist, just to serve Israel. And America just exists to prop up Israel. You know, like all of our lives are just about some stupid country in the Middle East. You know, I'm sorry, but I don't want to live my life for some some conflict over in the Middle East. You know, I want to live my life communing with the Lord and giving the gospel of Jesus to people and reading my Bible and and raising up my family in the ways of the Lord. Not not just foaming at the mouth for us to go, you know, nuke Iran in order to protect the chosen ones. Well, we're supposed to be, you know, going out and doing the great commission as disciples of Christ. And that's a news flash right there, folks. We as disciples of Christ, we are Israel. We are the chosen people. We are the true Israel. I mean, that's what I think it's so amazing in this marching to Zion. I think it's really marching to the city of God. It's really about, you know, God's going to bring that down to earth, isn't he? Exactly. And, and over and over again, he says that Zion in the New Testament is the heavenly Jerusalem, the city that descends from God out of heaven. So people, people are stuck in the Old Testament and they don't realize that Jesus came and said unto Israel, he said, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. And later on, he tells believers that are Gentiles, he says, you are a chosen generation. You're a peculiar people. You're a holy nation. You were in time past, not the people of God, but now you are. That's the difference between New and Old Testaments. Well, and I think that's really important that people understand that because, again, you know, it's it's lack of knowledge. In the waning moments, Stephen, where can people get this incredible full-length movie? Where can people get this now that it's available? Well, if they go to framingtheworld.com, if they go on framingtheworld.com, there, you know, there, there are a few movies listed there that we've produced. And right there, they'll see it, Marching Design. If they click on Marching Design... There is an option to purchase a DVD. The DVDs are shipping in about a week. And then there's also an option to do an electronic movie rental for just $4.99 if they want to just see it for a three-day rental. It's, it's 5 bucks, Or they can get a, a high-quality digital download for 15 bucks. I think you did a fantastic job. I think it's very well done. And again, regardless, I think you really connect a lot of dots for people. There's some really powerful visual imagery on there, too. And I think uh, I just think you've done such an amazing job with your your videos. I mean, you've got a litany of things out there now. I was so impressed with your after the tribulation series. I mean, that has just gone all over the world. And I think it's really waking people up. And you really have been sort of a, a juggernaut in really going against some controversial issues. And I, I really want to say thank you for the work you do. You In a world where there are so many shoulder-shrugging, politically correct minions, I'm just 
you're not afraid. You're not afraid to speak the truth. And that's one thing I really admire about you, especially with this vast sea of compromise in the pulpit. God bless you for your work. I mean, you've done an amazing job with this. And I'm really glad you came to talk a little bit about the movie. And folks, I've got the link to Framing the World where you can get the video. Please do get a copy of this. Give a couple copies out to your friends. Give copies to your pastors, your family, people in church. I really think it's important that people kind of get a full picture of this. And and I think it's just really well done. So fantastic job, Stephen. Hey, thank you so much for for saying that. And thanks for having me on. Well, it's my pleasure. And you'll have to come back and see us soon and keep us apprised of the controversy brewing. Folks, Pastor Stephen Anderson's information is Link there at weekendvigilante.com. Go to framingtheworld.com and get a copy of Marching to Zion. Again, I've seen the entire film and I have to say it's very well done. And I am sure there will be many things in this movie that really surprise you. Folks, thank you so much for tuning into the broadcast and really encourage people to also continue on in those lessons that we've been learning all week. The Last Reformation, so powerful. I'm getting absolutely inundated with emails on interest on this and comments that this is very much profoundly changing people's walk with Christ in a very powerful way. It's really plunging into something deeper, and I cannot recommend this enough. So take some time over the weekend, go to the Pioneer School, get going through the lessons cannot recommend this enough. So powerful. And I just want to remind people, anyone listening out there, Don Blazard from the Last Reformation, the U.S.-Canada ambassador, is coming to Kamloops, B.C. in April. You can go to thelastreformationusa.com and look at the Kickstarters. He's going to be in New York, but he's also going to be in B.C. That's Kamloops, British Columbia, Canada. And if anyone out there knows anyone in British Columbia, Get out to that Kickstarter. That's going to be very powerful, April 17th and 18th. I'm very excited about this teaching, folks. And again, tune in next week. We've got a great lineup next week. A shout-out to all the new listeners at WINB. Thank you so much for tuning in. Good night, and God bless. The Sheila Zielinski Show is sponsored by SteveQuayle.com, offering a wide variety of products, links, headlines, and information for the end times. Order Steve's new book, Little Creatures, by visiting stevequail.com. Dare to discover, learn, prepare, and be amazed.